How's it going? Great to see you here. I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling like I'm going to get myself in trouble today. That's just how I'm feeling. So we're, gonna, we're just going to go for it. Uh, if it's your first time here, my name is Nate, and I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration Church, and, and I, I apologize in advance, all right? We're just... We're gonna, I, I, I'm just so excited about today, about the baptisms today, excited for you if you're taking that step here in one of our services, and excited for worship night tonight, which is happening in Milton, starts at five o'clock, and those are always so special. They're always a little bit different, but they're always special. God, God always had something planned for us, and so that's going to be amazing and awesome. And uh, yeah, and that's that. I felt like I had one more thing I was going to say, but we're just going to roll. We are in the third week of this series, Fire and Water. And what we're doing today is we're finishing up this series. We talked in the first week about baptism by fire. And you can read in scriptures uh, about that, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can read about it in, kind of throughout the New Testament. And this event that happens at some point when you start following Jesus. And there, I, I thank you because uh, some of you are new to church. Some of you are from different backgrounds. So people have been asking. They've been asking the location pastors. They've been asking their circle leaders. Hey, help me understand. I, this is all brand new to me. And I want you to know at Restoration Church, it's a great, we want you to ask questions. Because we want to help to disciple you. We want to, help to, we want to help you to understand Scripture, to experience everything that God has for you within Scripture. And, uh, you know, we kind of always just leave it up to you. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the opportunity is for you. And now it's kind of, kind of between you and God. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to pursue? Are you going to pray about it? Are you going to keep studying it? Um, and, and we kind of allow that for you similar to water baptism. So when you give your life to Jesus, the second baptism is baptism by water. And I want to make this connection for you because I think this is going to put a lot of people at ease. When you came in to Restoration Church and we asked you, you know, we may, we may, maybe it came up in conversation, uh, have you ever been water baptized? And if you said no, here's what I tell you what, we, what you know we didn't do. We didn't then grab you, put you in a chicken wing, and then bring you to the tank and make you get water baptized. Like, you know, you will. At this church, you will receive baptism by water, and we force you into the tank, and we force you to do that. Now, that didn't happen to anybody. Nobody ever has that happened to a Restoration Church, and there's 76 years of history behind us. It has never happened that way. Baptism by fire, exact same thing. We will never force you to receive a baptism that you're not ready for. We'll just simply fill the tank. At worship nights, we fill the tank, a spiritual tank. We, we just fill the tank and we say, hey, this is something that God has for us. Are you ready to participate? And so I just want to put you at ease, all right? Because again, because we're coming from so many different backgrounds. Some of us have had really bad experiences in in, in other churches or, or in, in other places. And so it puts us in tension when we come to church. So hopefully that helps you. 
You're free to ask questions. You're free to participate at the level you want. We will encourage you to participate. We will encourage you to stand up, to shake a hand, to fill out a connection card. We will encourage you to get water baptized. We will encourage you to give your life to Jesus. But we're not going to force you to do that. We're just going to invite you in to the greatest opportunity, the greatest life, the greatest experiences that there are to experience in life or in eternity, to know Jesus and be loved by him, to have the forgiveness of your sins, to have the promise of everlasting life, to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to obey him. It's just an amazing thing to follow Jesus. It's an amazing thing. And that's what we invite you into. And, and um, hopefully you'll take us up on that invitation. Because it is a good thing to know Jesus and to be loved by him. So those were the t- first two baptisms. I, if you, hopefully you picked that up. Baptism by fire, baptism by water. There is a third baptism that we're going to talk through today. And there's one that, so we're going to talk about two different baptisms, one that you'll hear about in some churches or in some denominations, but there's not scriptural evidence for, and then there'll be one I'm presenting to you that Jesus talked about. So the third baptism, depending on what background, uh, what church background you grew up in, this may be something you're very familiar with, or this could be the first time you've ever heard this talked about. And you could be coming to Restoration Church for the last 40 years. This would be the first Sunday you've ever heard about this. I promise because I've been coming here for the last 36 years and it's never been talked about on the Sunday morning before. So it is a doctrine called the baptism of blood. Now, before you get all freaked out and think, you know, what is in the tank over there? Um, This is a, just like baptism by fire, this is symbolic language that's used to describe something. So there are, uh, mainly the Catholic Church carries this doctrine, and it's also called the martyred baptism. So it's a doctrine that a Christian is able to attain through martyrdom, and so let me define what martyrdom is. Martyrdom is when you lose your life because you follow Jesus. Uh, You are killed because you're a follower of Jesus. This is called martyrdom. You're a martyr. And this still happens across the world today. There are people who are martyred for their faith within the last seven days. It still happens. And within Scripture, Stephen is the first person that was martyred for being a Christian. They stoned him to death. They took rocks and they kept throwing it at him over and over again until he died. Now, so the the belief here is that in this doctrine of baptism of blood, that a Christian is able to attain through martyrdom the grace of justification normally attained through baptism by water without needing to receive baptism by water. Now, That probably made no sense. Let me break this down for you. We talked last week about water baptism. And there are some that believe that water baptism makes you saved. That water baptism 
gives you, washes you from your sin and makes you right before God. And we talked through and we kind of broke it down by scripture last week about how water baptism doesn't save, but it's our faith in Jesus that saves us. Water baptism is symbolic of our decision and it's a public declaration to the world of our decision to follow Jesus. Now, because some, uh, some denominations believe that baptism is necessary for salvation, they were having this problem in the first couple hundred years of Christianity. And, and here's what happened, is that in those first few hundred years, people were giving their life to Jesus. They were declaring their faith in Jesus, and they were getting killed very soon afterward, after they made that decision to follow Jesus. So they never had the opportunity to be water baptized. This was causing a problem, because how can you say this person who has been executed for publicly declaring their faith in Jesus, how can you say they're going to hell because they missed out on an opportunity to be water baptized. And so this is now where baptism by blood begin to become a doctrine of the church. So there is, uh, there is this challenge here. And one thing that we have to be careful of is that we don't create doctrines to fix our other doctrines. So if you have a doctrine, which is a belief or understanding of Scripture, that says you have to be water baptized to be saved, which again, we kind of laid it out last week that we can't find evidence for that in Scripture. Then what happens is if people aren't able to receive that baptism, now you have to create another baptism. You have to create another doctrine to fix the, the holes in that first doctrine. You must be water baptized to be saved. Well, that guy just died. He didn't get a chance to. He was died because he said he followed Jesus. Well, then... How about this? How about the baptism by blood? That sounds great. So if you didn't get a chance to be water baptized, but you were killed to be following Jesus, then that gives you the same forgiveness of sins that water baptism does. So let's talk about this for a second. You, does the shedding of my blood save me? If I'm martyred and my blood is shed because I declare I follow Jesus. Does the shedding of my blood save me? And some of you yelled that out already. Uh, Family feud. Good answer. Good answer. (laughs) Um, I'm no Steve Harvey, but I kind of look like, what is the other guy? What is the other guy? The real ugly guy? I kind of look like him. Louis? Louis? Is that? Louis Anderson. Yeah, that's me. I'm a regular Louis Anderson up here. Um, Does the shedding of my blood save me? No. So what happens, all right? You can identify yourself as a Christian, but we always want to make sure our faith is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Our faith is in what he did on the cross and what he did when he left the grave, not Jesus and a bunch of other superstitions or a bunch of other beliefs to make sure that we have all our bases 
covered. So we don't say, well, I, am, I, I believe in Jesus, but also I, am, uh, I, I practice Buddhism as well because I just see the benefits of both. Or I believe in Jesus, but also, I'm, you know, but also I'm following these other doctrines from other denominations in church because I just want to make sure that I've got it covered. If our faith is not in Jesus alone, then this is just kind of a, t- a tough statement here, then you do not have faith. You do not have faith if you're adding extra biblical superstition to your walk with Jesus. Now, extra biblical, I'm going to put the definition up here for you on the screen because that might not be a language that you've heard. Extra biblical means teaching concepts and practices claimed to be supported by or taught in the Bible, but which are based on incorrect interpretation. Let me give you a great example. Everybody at every location, look up to the ceiling. You see that black ceiling? You can't see it. That's funny. Everybody just sees spots now. Their eyes are blinded. So at all of our locations, we have a, we have a black ceiling. I want you to scroll all the way back, right? Before any auditorium ever had a black ceiling, our student ministries painted the ceiling black in one of their rooms. And I remember being at a breakfast and some well-meaning guys from the church said, Pastor Nate, why are you painting the ceiling black? Can't you paint it any other color? What about navy? What about dark brown? What about really, really dark gray? Can you paint it any other color but black? And I said, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between navy and black? And I said, well, black is the color of sin. And we shouldn't, as children of light, being associated with children of darkness. We shouldn't be associated with darkness. This would be an example of extra biblical. They thought they were supporting their their argument by the Bible, but the truth is the Bible says that sin is a crimson stain. Sin is not black, it is red. So their extra biblical argument, they were offended, they were their their spirits were grieved. But they were making an argument on something that's not supported by Scripture. We do this way too often. We do this more than we would care to admit. But we want to be careful about this. We always want to look back at Scripture, not just church doctrine. We want to look at Scripture, not just preference. We want to investigate Scripture, not just what those who have served the Lord longer than us tell us. Because it would have been easy for me as a, you know, as a young 20-year-old to say, oh, you've got a point. I don't want to make the youth group resemble sin, so I better, not paint, I better paint the ceiling red. And that's what we're going to paint it red. It's going to be bright and cheerful and red. And they'll be like, yes, you're so good. And we would have been doing the exact same thing, the exact thing they were accusing me of doing. So nothing but my faith. So again, back to this question. Does the shedding of my blood save me? 
Nothing but my faith in the shed blood of Jesus saves me. Calling myself a Christian, coming to a church service, giving money, raising my hands, being water baptized, being, uh, 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 being a member, owning a big Bible, owning a KJV-only Bible, nothing saves me except for my faith in Jesus who died on that cross. Nothing else saves us. Being a good person does not save us. Being a good citizen does not save us. Only our faith in Jesus saves us. Now, I want to share with you some scriptures because we, again, I just think extra biblical. You better back this up, Pastor Nate. Let me do this. Let's go through a bunch of scriptures here together. Shed blood of Jesus, only thing that saves. Hebrews 10, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, that's us. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Somebody, let's go old school here. Somebody say, amen. amen. That's, isn't that true? Nothing. All right, next one. Hebrews 13, 10. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. So he's talking about the cross. Jesus was hung on the cross outside of the gates of Jerusalem. That's what this is referencing. Jesus also suffered on the cross to make the people holy through his own blood. It's the blood of Jesus. And we sing about it often. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us holy. Next one, Revelation 1.5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. 1 Peter chapter 1. For you know that God paid a ransom. You were captive. You were held hostage. And God paid the ransom for your freedom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. Next verse. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God that paid you that paid the ransom, bought you, and redeemed you, and gave you freedom. It was the blood of Jesus. But let me switch directions, enough beating that doctrine. There is a third baptism found in the Bible. So this is one that we could build a doctrine about. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, and while you do that, I'm going to read a scripture from Luke chapter 12. So th this is Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 12. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. The baptism of suffering is also something that maybe we have never talked about here at Restoration Church or not talked about often, but let's look at this for a minute. Jesus, he says, I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me. He experienced the brutality of the cross. He experienced the stain of sin. And what color was it? red, not black, and he experienced a 
deep and profound and inexplicable separation from the Father. We, ha- we cannot comprehend God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, three in one. One God, three distinct persons, a profound mystery of God. And Jesus experienced for the first time in eternity separation from the Father. Jesus, later on, he said, I have a terrible baptism ahead of me. Later on, on the night which he was betrayed, hours before his crucifixion, he prayed to his Father, if there's any way, let this cup of suffering pass through me. If there's any way, if there's any other way other than I go through this baptism of suffering, Father, I ask you to show me Now, if you've got your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 20, I want to read to you. This is a parallel scripture. So when Jesus talks about baptism of suffering in this passage, is another instance where he references that same thing. So Matthew chapter 20, and I'm going to read it from the uh, New King James Version, actually, today. Uh, it says, the mother of Zebedee's sons, Zebedee the husband, their two sons, They're James and John, two brothers, not James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, two other guys. She came to Jesus with her two sons. So these are two, you know, John might have been 16 or 17 years old at this time, 15, 16, 17, uh, a teenager. James could be 19, 20, 21. So it's two young guys, but they're coming before Jesus with their mom. Mom's a spokesperson. Some of you are using this as evidence to be helicopter parents. Don't use it as evidence for that. So she kneels down before Jesus and she asks something from him. And Jesus said to her, what do you wish? And she said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. God, give them a place of prominence a place of authority, a place of power, a place of recognition. And Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking for. If you realized what you're asking for, you would not have come and asked this request. And he says, are you able to drink the cup of suffering? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? to be baptized with the baptism, the baptism of suffering that I am going to be baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. And as you look at James and John, James was martyred for being a Christian. John, who wrote the book of Revelation and and the gospel of John, he Ultimately, wasn't martyred, but he was persecuted pretty severely. Church history has it marked down that John was, they tried to kill him. They, they, they essentially boiled him in tar, and, uh, but he lived through it. So their, their aim was to torture him and kill him, but he lived through it. Then they sent him as an exile, and he spent the, essentially, he, he, um, he lived in Patmos, which is essentially like, Australia, it was just a place where they sent criminals and convicts. 
And that's where he lived out the last years of his life. Are you able, church? This is my question for you. Are you able to follow Jesus despite opposition, persecution, problems, and pain? Are you able to follow him no matter what? Are you able to follow him to wherever he's going, through whatever he goes through, or will you bail out when it becomes difficult for you? I got three quick questions, and then we're going to do some voluntary baptisms. <laughs> First question is, who will experience suffering? 2 Timothy 3.12 gives us, gives us an answer to this. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone. And maybe you never have yet, but you will at some point, unless you try to take the route of Peter on the day Jesus was arrested, and when you're confronted, aren't you a follower of him? And you're, today's cancel culture, you've got to protect your job, your paycheck, your YouTube monetization, you've got to protect your reputation, you got to, and so you're like, I don't know. I mean, I go to church, but I'm not one of those weird ones. <laughs> and there's a scripture that that uh, that I, I I memorized as a teenager as a, a profound scripture for me. It was Mark eight thirty eight. If anyone this is Jesus speaking. If anyone is ashamed of me and my, and my father in this sinful and adulterous age, so will the Son of Man be ashamed of him. And I remember thinking, all right, if I'm going to get made fun of at school, I get a choice. Am I going to be ashamed of my faith? Ashamed of my Savior? Or am I willing to be persecuted, made fun of, canceled for having faith in him. All followers will at some point in their walk, if they're going to remain faithful to Jesus, all followers will receive this a baptism. Now, maybe you're in it. Maybe when you're in it, this will be a question that you'll ask, will it ever end? Next week, we're starting a new series called Predictive Text. Do you know what predictive texting is on your phone, some of you? Um, but the Bible has within it predictive text. Scriptures of prophecy that show, that show us and give us a glimpse into what will happen in the future. We're going to talk through this series. But we know from our series next week, we know from Scripture, it will end. Suffering will not be forever. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It feels like a long time, but it is light and momentary. 
And Paul, who wrote that, he was not someone writing from a library, from an office. He's writing from jail. He was writing from prison. He was writing after beatings. He was writing after deep suffering. Will it ever end? Suffering is there, but there is a finish line. And this next scripture shows us, man, suffering precedes glory. There's a suffering, but there's a glory to come after that. And I want you to think of it like a marathon runner, or I want you to think of it like uh, having a newborn baby in the house, or I want you to think of it like having to work a double shift, or think of it as like finals. You're suffering for a season, but it does come to an end. There's a glory at the end. Romans 8, 17, since we are his children and we are his heirs, and the bands can come up, since we are his children and we are his heirs, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. If we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. My last question for you before, before I pray, the question you should ask yourself is how should I respond in suffering? For some of us, we get to think through how would I respond and prepare in advance to know what you'll do and what you'll say, but begin to recognize there will come a day where you'll have to say, how should I respond right now? How do I respond in this suffering? How do I respond that I'm losing friends, I'm losing family, I'm losing opportunities? There's pressure, there's danger, there's threats. How will I respond? First Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, again, that's us. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. Don't be surprised. I think some of us are shocked. But I follow Jesus. How could anything go wrong? I follow Jesus. How could I lose a loved one or a friend? I follow Jesus. Isn't everything supposed to go according to my plan? Don't be surprised. As if something strange were happening to you. No, we're on this broken earth. We're living in a fallen world. Don't be surprised. This is what happens. Jesus talked about it over and over again. Don't be surprised. Instead, be very glad. How should I respond in suffering? Be very glad. Not in a maniacal, sadistic. No, but we're glad. We're glad because we're partners with Jesus in his suffering. When we're suffering, you know what it can cause us to do? To recognize Jesus, the the suffering you went through on the cross. She went on the cross for me, for my friends, for my family, for this earth, for the billions before me, for the potentially billions after. The suffering you went through on the cross, I mean, it is so light compared to the suffering I'm going through. And and we worship him, and we love him, and we're reminded of him, and our commitment to him grows even stronger. Be glad because you'll have the joy of seeing his glory. 
You'll see him face to face. You'll see his perfection. You'll experience the, just the overwhelming warmth and depth of his love. You'll be a recipient of his compassion. And it says also to be glad because you will be blessed. God will bless you in your suffering. He will bless you after your suffering. He'll bless you on this earth. He'll bless you in the life after this. He'll be blessed. And that light and momentary affliction, it won't even matter one moment when we see him face to face. Baptism of suffering. Don't fear it. Don't be afraid of it. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay focused on him. And he will fill you with the joy of the Lord. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your, thank you for your willingness to go to the cross on, on our behalf. You deliberately signed up for suffering so we could be free. You deliberately signed up for suffering so we could be saved. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for that, Jesus. Thank you for that. We recognize this morning there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can't be baptized to be saved. We can't be martyred to be saved. If we're going to receive salvation and forgiveness, it comes through one thing by saying, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I make a decision today to follow you. And that prayer that we pray in faith does everything we need. It transforms our heart. It forgives us of our sin. It sets us free from, from, from our captors. And thank you for that, Jesus. May our faith be in you alone, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.